Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs, you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more. Welcome in to the BSN Broncos podcast presented by Elixinol. And just like that, we are inside a week to Denver Broncos training camp. Ryan Konigsberg alongside Henry Chisholm here at BSN Denver headquarters. And Henry, not only are we inside a week to training camp, it's less than that before we're going to get to sit down, uh, Zach and I, with John Elway, Joe Ellis, a couple of, you know, probably Vaughn Miller, maybe even Joe Flacco. Um, it is right around the corner. We are there. It's so hard to believe. That's so, it's so strange. It, it feels like it's just the middle of summer and football is so far away. But wh- I, I think it's eight weeks until the first regular season game. Wow. And, and far, obviously far less than that until the Hall of Fame game. And actually, that's a good place for us to start right here at the Hall of Fame game. Obviously, the reason that football is starting so early here in Denver is, is because of the Hall of Fame game. Um, the Broncos were, I guess, awarded that appearance in that game, which allows them to start training camp a week early because they start, a pre- they start the preseason a week early, which is funny because when you add that on top of OTAs, which they got an extra week of because of a new staff, you're talking about an, an extremely extended off season here or on season that's not part of the off season however you want to call it <laughs> yeah and i'm curious what your thoughts are on this in terms of is it beneficial is it beneficial that the broncos now had an extra week of otas they'll have an extra week of training camp and they'll have an extra week of the preseason above almost 
they will have more they will have practiced more going into week one than any other team in the NFL. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question because you know, obviously all the extra reps help, especially with the new coach, but there's just so much risk. There's a potential for injury at every practice and when they have whatever touch it is. Wood. Uh yes, touch wood, very important. But uh when you have another ten percent more practices, you'd expect, you know, whatever it is, ten percent more injuries. And that's that's terrifying. If if everything breaks right and they come out of it healthy, then yeah, it's really helpful, but there's there's just so much risk involved. I mean, in the end, football is a war of attrition and injuries are going to happen. And the teams that have the most success are the teams that get the luckiest when it comes to injuries. So I don't think it's hard for me to um, account injuries when evaluating this because it's there's just no predicting it. Yeah. And it's not just because you practice more means you're going to get injured more. It all just depends on the players and you know the type of practices you're running. Obviously, Vic Fangio wants to run physical practices, so maybe that adds into it. My, for me, because it's a new coaching staff, I think this ends up being a pretty big positive. Um, there are no excuses come week one for this team not understanding the scheme, for this team not being you know ready for Vic Fangio's coaching style, any of that. We're talking 19 practices on top of, you know, however many OTA practices they had. Five games. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think, like, before the season even starts, and I'm thinking of this from my perspective, like, we're going to cover 21 games this season. That's a lot. And that's if they don't make the playoffs. So, five whole football games will happen before they take the field for week one. There's, there's no excuse for sloppiness in week one. There's no excuse for, um, you know, not being able to tackle well. All of that stuff, that's off the table. So, yes, I understand the risk. And I also understand, you know, the potential of wearing these guys' bodies down when you combine that with a 16-week season. I think Vic Fangio will be the type of guy who takes care of his players in season. Um, but still... I, I understand the risks. I like to look at it the other way, though, because there are no excuses. You can't – there's nothing you can pin and say, well, you know, uh, they're not going to really understand Vic Fangio's scheme until they've done it for three games. Like, no. Unless they don't play in the preseason, which I think would be a, a miss on Vic Fangio's part, they should be very used to the way things are done by the time they're playing in real games. Yeah, I'm I'm also worried about the mental fatigue though. Like guys like Von Miller need time off. You know, they they need a few months, but when you're just constantly going and going and then they you got get 5 weeks August, here. Yeah, they got 5 weeks, but that's not what they're used to. They're used to having what? 7 weeks, 8 weeks, 6 and a half, yeah. But just having the extra extra practices in the spring, extra practices in the fall, like you hope that means they're locked in. You hope that means that they, you know, the cliches like they're living and breathing football, all that kind of stuff. But there's a good chance that once you hit October and November, December, like it, they're just worn out and tired of it. Well, to me, that comes down to winning and losing. If 
come November, December, you're a losing football team, there is going to be an extra dose of mental fatigue. If come November, December, you're a winning football team, no one's going to be thinking about that. Especially the way this team has been starved from success over the last three years. They are so hungry to get back to where they were that I don't think, and not even where they were, just just get a taste, a taste of winning, a taste of success. They're so hungry for that that I don't think this will have an effect on them later in the season if they are if they are playing well. If they aren't playing well, well then all bets are off. And you know what? If they aren't playing well, and in November, December they're playing worse, it's probably for the better in the, in the end. So there's definitely two sides to this, but for me. In terms of preparing under a new head coach, this is going to end up being a positive. Yeah. I mean, you could also see that fatigue play out toward the end of training camp, too. For sure. And that's where you need, like, the leadership, all the guys who keep everybody locked in. Because if you lose that, then that last week of training camp, I mean, we hear all the time already how guys really don't enjoy it. I think Chris Long was on Twitter a week or two ago saying, like, thank God I'm not back out there getting ready to grind for three weeks stay in a hotel all this kind of stuff so i don't know it's it's a lot of football and there's a lot of pros to that there are a lot of cons too i want to i want to talk about how much the hall of fame game will actually help having that fifth preseason game um and i want to start by going through uh the stats from last year's hall of fame game when the bears played the ravens because i think i think didn't that game end up getting canceled, or was that two years ago? Uh, that was two years ago. So this one, you you know who the leading quarterback was most pass attempts in the Bears Ravens Hall of Fame game. Oh, I'm going to guess Chase Daniel. Nope, Chase Daniel was Chicago's backup quarterback, so he only played about one quarter. The uh, third string, though, Tyler Bray had 34 pass attempts. Okay. Uh, on the other side, Robert Griffin III had 11 passing attempts leading the Ravens. Josh Woodrum, and we actually did get to see Lamar Jackson a little bit, too. But the point is, that Hall of Fame game, it's kind of for scrubs. Or at least in the past, you really haven't seen anybody you're looking forward to seeing. It's just throwing random guys out there. I mean, leading rusher, Benny Cunningham, sure. But then uh, Gus Edwards, yeah, you know, he's he's a guy. Josh Woodrum, DeLance Turner, Mark Thompson, Chris Moore, Taquan Mizzle, Ryan Nall. Who even are these guys? Well, I understand your point on that, but you're looking at the Bears roster. When we're looking at the Broncos roster... We're going to know all those names. It's true. And so for us and for those players, it's highly uh, um, beneficial. And you know who's the third string quarterback for the Broncos right now? Drew Locke. It's Drew Locke. So if Drew Locke throws the ball 34 times in that game, (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah, me too. But I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Kevin Hogan Hogan and Brett Rippon. Yeah, we'll see what happens. you You hope by the time you get to that game, Drew Locke is the two. And so then he goes in and starts the game, and then by the end of it, you're seeing Brett Rippon, you know, for a half or whatever it is, just because I'm tired of the Kevin Hogan thing. Um, but, like, so for the Broncos in week one, the Hall of Fame game doesn't help them at all. 
Although mm-hmm. it will give them a game to watch their coaches from the sidelines and just see kind of how things operate on a True. game day. Um, and, and maybe that helps a little bit in the transition. It's really for the guys on the bottom of the roster yeah, to have a chance. It's guys 40 through 90 who are going to be on the field. Like, if, if we're going to have to be getting excited about Kalfani Muhammad. I just – actually, right before you said that, I was getting excited about Kalfani <laughs> Yeah, Muhammad. I know. That was the name that popped into my head too. And so, like, there are guys like that, but a lot of the guys that we're going to be getting excited about in that game, you know, they're going to be guys who uh, might not make the roster in the end anyway. And so – I, I don't think this game adds as much as most of the other preseason games do just because the coaching is usually so conservative. You're just trying to get guys out there, play football, avoid injuries, and come out health or come out yeah, come out healthy. And then build toward the end of the preseason actually seeing guys. Yeah, and, and it also brings me to a point which is there's nineteen training camp practices. It's up to Vic Fangio to manage those guys so that they aren't super exhausted by the end of it. And that that's just placing the veteran rest days and this and that. And I think that'll happen too. So so I bet you a guy like Von Miller ends up having 14 practices by the end of it, um, which is plenty. That, you know, that's a, about a little more than they had last year, especially as a veteran. Um, and the other thing is position battles. Normally, you would say, okay, 19 training camp practices, that's um, a lot more evaluation to break down these battles. But Zach wrote yesterday, and, and we might disagree with him a little bit here, he thinks there's only two starting spots up for grabs. And you can go uh, read his article on bsndenver.com. It was well done. Just kind of looks at the two main positions he's talking about. I'm curious what you think in terms of how many positions are up for grabs. I mean, truly up for grabs. Um, you know, there's um, let's call that there's a 20% chance that it doesn't go to the guy that we have penciled in as the starter. I mean, running back, you can call that position battle, even though we already know that they're going to be splitting time. And the question is going to be whether it's, you know, 60-40 one way or the other um, between Rice Freeman and Phil Lindsay. You also have tight end where, I mean, really that is wide open. If Noah Fant can prove that he can be an every day or every down tight end, then that's great. But that's really unlikely just because he is so raw in a couple areas, especially the blocking. I mean, Troy Fumagalli, J- Jake Butt, Jeff Hireman, they all just do different things. And so they're all not, not really competing for the starting spot, but kind of like the running backs trying to carve out playing time and specifically like carving out roles. Um, receivers, pretty much set. Maybe the fourth receiver is up for grabs. Yeah, between even, Tim Patrick and Jawan Winfrey. But even then, you think Tim Patrick's done enough? Yeah, he he has an edge. Um, offensive line, things would have to be something would have to go horribly wrong for it not to be the five guys we've been talking about all summer. Uh, the one that is a little interesting is safety, but with all the versatility, it's like weird to try and pick out. Oh, is that a starting job? Like, is Kareem Jackson a starting safety? Is he a starting corner? Where does he fill in? If you if you call him a starting safety, well, then really there isn't a safety job up for grabs because it's him and it's going to be him and Justin Simmons. 
with Will Parks kind of filling in in situational roles. Exactly. And how many times have we said that now just running through this roster? And the same thing along the defensive line. It isn't about trying to find starters. Those are pretty much set. And honestly, they don't matter that much just because it will be specific roles. Like, you know, going back to tight ends, who's going to be the guy on third and third and three that can pretend he can block but also be a threat against like a soft zone defense, you know? And maybe that's Jeff Hireman because you trust him more in the blocking game. Maybe Jake Butt can be such a threat in the passing game. And so it's just like all these little things in which situation who is going to get on the field that the starting jobs really aren't interesting battles at this point. Yeah, third corner, I guess, would be one. Um, it's between Isaac Adam and Devontae Bosby probably Yeah, with Kareem Jackson factoring into that as well. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's one that could be really interesting Isaac Yadam versus Devontae Bosby because you need one of those guys to step up and be, you know, contribute as a third cornerback and not just be a huge liability. And so that would be exciting until you remember that Kareem Jackson can just slot right in there and there really isn't much risk if they don't get what they need out of one of those guys. Right. It's like Kareem Jackson slides into third corner, Will Park slides into the safety role, and you're fine. You're just totally fine. So, and, and, and that. And as we go through this, that is why Vic Fangio likes to set things up this way. Because, weirdly enough, he doesn't have to have depth at every position. Like, there isn't really that great of depth at corner if you take Kareem Jackson out of the mix. You mix Kareem Jackson in. Okay, well, now you have three above-average corners. Yeah. Um, there, There is interesting depth at safety. Just, you know, in the sense of, like, you've got a guy like Jamal Carter, a guy like DeMonte Thomas... Those type of players, it's not depth you're confident in, but it doesn't matter because you just slot Kareem Jackson in there. Now you have three players who've played a lot of football. And there are three guys there who you're really excited to see. Like Jamal Carter and DeMonte Thomas. I, th- I think the fact that there are two of them kind of splits the hype. If, if just yeah. Jamal Carter was on that roster, just DeMonte Thomas, I think that there's a good chance we'd be really excited about them. But... uh. When you have two there, you're just like, yeah, they're two guys who can play, and it's tough to get excited about one or the other because you don't even know who's going to get playing time. Either one could be cut. I mean, either one could get no playing time. Yeah. It, it could be strictly a special teams role, and both of them are guys who could be studs on special teams. But, you know, obviously you throw in Sue Cravens too, and I'm not really willing to say much about Sue Cravens until he proves something on the field. Anything. But – in the end, the way that, that Vic Fangio sets this whole thing up is you don't necessarily need a, a plethora of depth at every single position. Uh, you know, another example would be, like, nose. They don't really have a nose. It's, um, it's going to be a combination of guys. Yeah. And, they, and that's fine yeah. because they have depth on the defensive line. Like, you can play Adam Gotsis there if you need to. You yeah. can play Shelby Harris there if you need to. Obviously, Zach Kerr is the most true knows that you have he can slot in there um you could probably if you wanted to get super creative move Derek wolf in there for sure so so you don't need depth that knows depth that and you know depth that situational pass rusher because all of these guys are kind of slottable in there obviously a guy like draymond jones isn't going to go in the middle but he can slot into the outside you slot another guy into the inside and there you go and it's all these combinations that are going to be so much fun to see because that's what the battle is when it's okay third and seven 
they've already seen these two looks. What's our little change up to our third and seven defense? And so these are the things that the coaching staff is looking for. And there are just so many different ways that they can give the offense things that they haven't seen before. I mean, we've, we've named how many guys, like there are 16 guys who can throw out on that defense and you're, you want to see them. And I'll keep going. Uh, you don't have that much depth at inside linebacker, but you have Will Parks who can go down and play sandbacker. Which is just a crazy look you can throw at another team. And then you also have Justin Hollins. Yeah. Maybe Justin Hollins goes in and plays some inside linebacker for you. And then, again, you don't have that much depth at outside linebacker, but Justin Hollins is another guy who can kind of slot in there and play outside linebacker for you. So the more you know, uh, Swiss Army Knives you add to the defense, the more multiple you are in what you can do and the less necessary depth is from a position-by-position position standpoint. Yeah, and so if their base defense is something like, you know, Derek Wolf, Shelby Harris, uh, I mean, we'll call That's it a base a s- nickel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, throw some combination of those three guys, Bradley Chubb, Von Miller on the edges, like Will Parks and Todd Davis at linebacker, and then, uh, you know. Kareem Jackson. Yeah, Kareem Jackson, Justin, Justin Simmons, Simmons, Chris Harris, Bosby, and uh, Bryce Callahan. Like, there's there's maybe one of your base nickel defenses I mean, that should work really well, but if it doesn't, you can switch up almost every position on there and try something new. And you really shouldn't get beat down by another team for full game because some combination of these like 16 guys, 18 guys will, will, will work, you know? It's, yeah. It's interesting. And you can put so many different combinations out there, such as you can make it look like Justin Hollins is playing inside linebacker alongside Todd Davis. And then right pre-snap, he kicks outside right next to Bradley Chubb, and you've got two guys coming off that edge. And how are you know how are the offensive linemen going to adjust and pick up that blitz? And the most exciting part about all of this is that it's Vic Fangio designing it. It's not like we have some it's guy. It's not just you and me <laughs> yeah, talking stuff. Like up this over looks here. fun. Let's try it out on Madden. No, it's Vic Fangio, one of the best defensive minds in the NFL, with this very mentally engaging defense for all these guys. So, I mean, that is another factor is that we're asking Justin Hollins to learn how to play inside linebacker, to learn how to be up on the line in the middle, to beat, you know, like get through the A gap and make a play, have him learn how to be on the, on the edge. And so you don't know how many of these guys can actually learn all these different positions that they could be useful in. But if they all do learn and Vic Fangio gets to just play with this, throw in those NASCAR sets like we saw during the Super Bowl season with Justin Hollins blitzing the A-gap. Like, there's so much potential there. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty endless in terms of what Vic Fangio can do with this defense, and I think he set it up that way on purpose. That's why he drafted a guy like Justin Hollins. That's why they were so aggressive in free agency going out to get Kareem Jackson. And he's l- lucky, I guess, in the sense that he has a guy like Justin Simmons who's so multiple – he has a guy like Chris Harris Jr. who can play inside and outside. Will Parks. Will Parks, who can play up you know, in the box, and he can play back. There's so much he can do here, and I think because of that, he's going to have a field day um, just trying to come up with different ways and different uh, possibilities to, to go after the quarterback, to confuse the, the offense, whatever it is. I just, you know, one thing that's, that's interesting to think about, because I, I always try to compare, like, what was I thinking last year around this time, and... I remember watching in OTAs and training camp, 
Joe Woods was really working on this overload blitz where he would bring Bradley Chubb, Vaughn Miller, and Will Parks all off the same side on the same blitz. And I was like, wow, how do you stop that? That's incredible. And then he never used it in the season. Yeah. And... Well, and we were hyping up the NASCAR set again, too. Yep. Saying, just like I was saying, like, how if Justin Hollins can blitz the A-gap. How do you beat that? And we were saying the same thing last year. I think Dre even did a film room on it last summer yep. about how great it could be. We never really saw that either. Yeah. And so I, ho- I, ho- I think Vic Fangio is a guy who's going to be very confident in what he's doing. I think Joe Woods got a little bit um, trigger shy on game days. And maybe it's because he didn't have the corners. You know, maybe they were really expecting Bradley Roby to be a lockdown guy. And when he wasn't, it just kind of threw a wrench in the gear of their plans. Yeah, because he was still trying to do what Wade Phillips did, which is just lock up every skill position player one-on-one and then send six guys in as many creative ways as you can. And when you can't do that, when you have to leave a safety back to help on Roby's side of the field, then all of a sudden you're trying to figure out how to send five guys. And, I mean, then you're not rushing six on five. You're rushing five on five. And things just get tougher from there. And as soon as you lose that momentum, as soon as you lose that edge, the the different little twists you can throw in there aren't scaring people anymore. And I think that's that's what the defense comes down to. Is you just have to be – you want the offense on their heels wondering, well, they got us from the left last time. We didn't see it coming. Are they going to go back to the left? Are they going to try to come at us at the middle? Are they just going to send three guys and drop everybody back up, back in coverage? It just – dictating the game from the defensive side of the field is so important. Absolutely. Um, all right. Let's take a quick break here, Henry. Uh, and actually, before we do that, got to tell you about the good old folks at Breckenridge Brewery. Went to the old uh, local liquor store yesterday. They, ha- they already had the Strawberry Sky. So if oh, you're really? in Colorado, um, there's a very good chance that, you know, whatever the nearest – big name liquor store near you especially if you're if you near some of the big big ones i mean total beverage obviously yeah uh, they're gonna have the strawberry sky um you know i saw burrito brad sorry nacho yeah, brad can't be doing that nacho brad chimed in yesterday and said that he found uh some breckenridge at his local liquor store out there in phoenix so wherever you're at head down to the nearest place get some breck brew you are gonna love it um seriously burrito brad got the sorry nacho brad i mean i can't believe i'm still doing that that's like calling the los angeles chargers the san diego chargers like chad john or chad ocho cinco chad johnson yeah i never could do the it's whole ocho cinco thing i'm just because it's so dumb yep i feel um, like he's sucking me into it he got the vanilla porter uh obviously some people have been chiming in telling me they got the avalanche ale if you can get your hands on the strawberry sky you gotta do that yeah. but no matter what you're gonna find something you like from breckenridge brewery so uh, check them out. Supporting them is supporting us, and they're supporting us, and we're supporting them, and it's all—they're all part of—it's part of the family now, and uh, that's really exciting for us. All right, now we're going to take a quick break. When we get back on the other side, we're going to get to your questions. Tax debt is impeding the growth of millions of small businesses in the U.S. That's why Symbio Tax and Administration's goal is to enable small businesses and individuals to make informed and calculated decisions when it comes to their taxes. Symbio Tax provides small business owners with expert services in resolving tax liabilities and providing financial clarity. I would recommend, George, to anybody who has to deal with the IRS. 
his strengths and depth of knowledge make him really valuable. You know, over the course of years as a real estate broker, I've had the opportunity to talk with many different tax people. But the one thing I have found with George is he was very easy to work with. He was very articulate. Symbiotax is experienced in preparing returns for all income levels, as well as securing penalty abatements and settlements for qualified individuals that sometimes save the taxpayer thousands. George was able to save us about $7,000, and of course, you know, being an independent real estate broker, $7,000 is a substantial amount of money, and it was really nice to get that dealt with. They offer free consultations, so be sure to check out symbiotax.com for more information. That's S-Y-M-B-I-O. All right, we're rolling along on a Friday edition of the BSN Broncos podcast, and this is really, I'm not sure what the feel of Monday and Tuesday's podcast will be, but it kind of feels like this is the last true off-season podcast. Yeah, things really get rolling starting Monday. Yeah, I think like you'll start to hear some roster news, you know, sort of rolling around, and different stuff will start to come out Monday. I think we'll start to feel like it is football season. But of course, it's always football season in the BSN Denver Broncos podcast comment section because we rolled through the whole offseason with plenty of questions almost every single day. And so let's get into those. The first one comes in from Sonny Rain. He says, yo, Ryan, you got to stop me. For the last two days, I've been whistling my favorite college football fight song. And now after looking up the lyrics like a dummy, I'm singing it. I ask you to stop me because that song isn't Fight CU. It's a song that often drives many people batty. Well, I love the CU fight song. I can't stop, won't stop, Rocky Top. I'm not from Tennessee. (laughs) I'm not a big country music fan. What is going on here? It's a great song. Yeah. It's a classic. I mean, remember Peyton Manning? Was it Peyton Manning dancing to Rocky Top yep. at training camp? Was like with Wes Welker even maybe? Brandon Stokely? Yeah, those guys were involved. Yeah. It's a classic moment. Classic training camp moment. I I mean, the the bands and the fight songs, that's what makes college football special. It's so pure. Except for the whole like NCAA thing, you just have to get that out of your mind. <laughs> but like the traditions <laughs> And playing for the love of the game and all that stuff. Yeah. That's what I love about it. It'd be nice sports. if they could like play for a little bit of money too. Yeah, it would. But it would. uh Yeah. It, I just want them to be able to profit off their likeness. I think that's so easy. I think that's an easy rule to just say, like, you know what? If you're a baller and like the You wanna sell some autographs? The yeah. market wants to say that you can get paid for what you do, then you should be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Like you wanna jump on for a radio spot once a week? Sure. Yeah, make 50 bucks off of it. Yes, that should be a thing because that that solves some of the problems that they're so worried about, which we won't even get into, but like they like what what administrators are saying is like, well, based on Title IX, if we pay LaVisca Chenault $10,000 a month, we also have to pay the last scholarship on the women's lacrosse roster $10,000 a month. Yeah. Which they make plenty of money, a, a lot of athletic departments make plenty of money to be able to do that. Some don't. This is why it doesn't – my theory is, like, this doesn't cost you any money. None. This just allows them to make money. Just because they are themselves and they, like, deserve money. They're because stars. the market says they deserve money. Right. And they're the ones that are filling the stands for you because they're – like, people are going to Folsom Field this year to see LaVisca Chenault. 
Yeah, I can't I can't remember exactly uh when it was, but it was something like so there was an economic study 2013-2014. They took every player on the Texas Longhorns football team. So like 90 guys, 100 guys, whatever it was. Um they were like pretty good. It's Texas, but it wasn't like a great team or anything at the time. They said that if if there was like a free open market, every player on that football team should be making over 700 grand a year. Whoa. Based on like the income they generate for the university. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. It is crazy. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. We already kind of. Anyways, did. you're singing Rocky Top because it's great. Do you have a personal favorite um, college fight song that isn't your college's fight song? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, Rocky Top is a classic. Um, I'm trying to remember. There was one I always picked. Remember back when you made a school and like the NCAA video mm-hmm, games? Mm-hmm. There was one I chose every time, and I can't remember. I, it might have been Michigan. Even. I was just going to say Michigan, Michigan is the one that always gets stuck in my head. Yep. Um, so I have to give my t- tip my cap to them. It is a good. It's a very good fight song. It's a good fight song. All right. He goes on and says, and just to think, I was at the CU Tennessee Pigskin Classic in 1990 in Ooh. Anaheim. And trust me, at the time, Rocky Top was driving me out of my mind. Of course, uh, CU and Tennessee played to a tie in that That game. was okay back then? That was okay back then. That's, That's why terrible. In um, CU's national championship season, they were, I think, 10-1-1. and Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, that was that year, wasn't it? Um, what what do you think of the college football overtime? Love it. Why? Well, just because it is exciting. It moves quickly. It it has just a lot of juice. Exactly what I was going to say. It's fast, and things are constantly happening. They're playing real football. Like it's honestly maybe my favorite thing in sports. Like, you can get in the penalty shootouts. I think, like, hockey, those are great. But football just has – it's it's there's so much meat behind it. You know, it's not just, like, the shootout where you, you skate down the ice, you shoot, it takes three seconds. You have to, like, work your way from the 20 in, but you're only at the 20, so there's the scoring, too. Like, it's, it's just so exciting. I'll say this, though. I would not want the NFL to adopt that. Really? Why not? Because I don't think it's, like, real football. Hmm. It's like it's a little gimmicky. Okay. And so I just want the NFL to adopt the same exact rules except you just start like a regular possession. So in the sense of yep. they kick off, you get a chance to score. Whatever you score, the other team has to match it. If they match it, it goes on to another overtime. If they don't, it's um it's over. Yep. So if they teams keep trading touchdowns, like can you imagine how entertaining that would be? Yeah, the Chiefs and Rams last year go to overtime, and they're both going full field touchdowns every time. Yeah, no, I I like that a lot better than the current system. I would say like have them start at the fifty and work their way in and do like the same thing, just because I think that the consistency that format format just makes a lot of sense. Because you know, like with interceptions, it's just a turnover. You just start right there. That stuff kind of gets muddy if you just have them go back and forth over the entire field. Like you pick a pass off, and then all of a sudden you're starting at the 40. I don't know. I, I just like how consistent back and forth, even playing field, just just see who's the best. All right, next question here comes in from Nialo. And he says, here's an early submission for We Get Mad Wednesday. Well, we'll just call it Fired Up Friday. Ooh, I like it. Uh, Bill Barnwell, who I actually enjoy as an NFL writer, he says – has Denver ranked at number 31, only above the Jaguars in f- terms of offensive arsenals. 
His main stipulations are as follows. One, these rankings don't include, include contract value. Two, solely considering how these players re- will perform in 2019. Three, the Arsenals are weighted more toward receivers. Four, top-level talent wins out over depth. Nialo says, I know we aren't going to have a top five or even a top ten offensive arsenal, but 31 seems disrespectful. Where would you guys have Denver? I know it might be a big ask considering there are 31 other teams to rank with them, and training camp is fast approaching. Yay. Okay, 31 is definitely too low. And the reason I say that is because of the ceiling of this team. I think their floor is down there. For sure. Um, but, but I think their ceiling is significantly higher just when you consider, okay, is Emmanuel Sanders healthy? If Emmanuel Sanders is healthy, which he posted another video of him running and cutting all over the place and he looks a hundred percent. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Michael Porter Jr. It's that same thing where I, he just like, he gets hurt and he disappears for a bit and then he just posts like a video and then, like, a couple weeks later, they post another video. And then the videos just, like, slowly be- start, like, becoming more consistent. And then all of a sudden, he's about to play, and then something else happens. And it's that same thing with Emmanuel Sanders. And it's, you know, the first time through this, so you don't have to, like, doubt it too much, be too skeptical. But just the similarities between those two things just terrify me. My whole thing is just, like, okay, so if he can do all this, why isn't he going to be out there at practice next Thursday? I don't understand. So, anyways... If he's healthy, which it sure seems like he's going to be based on what we see and not what we hear, um, then then you've got a a solid number one wide receiver. You've got Cortland Sutton, who obviously proved last season that he can be a weapon. I think that's fair to say. Um, I'm not even going to go further down the receiver chart because I don't think I need to. Noah Fant is a guy who can instantly become a mismatched nightmare in the NFL. And then you've got Philip Lindsay, who's a Pro Bowl running back. So because of those things, added in with a savvy veteran, I think is fair to call yeah. uh, Joe Flacco, I think their ceiling is right around the top 10. But I understand their floor is low, so I would just put them in the middle. I think they would be, if, he was, if they were 17, 18, 19, that would have been fine. So let's compare them to the Dolphins, because the Dolphins are the 30th ranked team, right in front of them. So the Dolphins... Uh, they lose Danny Amendola. They lose Who, Frank Gore. Who's their? Let's just do this. Who's their best offensive weapon? Devontae Parker. Okay. Uh, then Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Mike Jasicki, Kenyon Drake. So where do they? Where are they better than the Broncos? Do you, Do you like Devontae Parker or Emmanuel Sanders? Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, do you like Kenny Stills or Cortland Sutton? Cortland Sutton. Do you like Albert Wilson or Deshaun Hamilton? Yeah. Okay. Phil Lindsay or Kenyon Drake? Phil. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, Mike Jasicki or Noah Fant? Noah Fant. <laughs> I think that all of these are really close conversations, or at least most of them are. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I'd put him ahead of the Dolphins. I don't know if I'd go up to 17. You take Fitzmagic over Flacco. Yeah. They, I, I don't think they even mentioned quarterbacks in here, though. I oh, think it's, it's oh, just, just about the Arsenal. The others, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty close. I mean, right in front of them, we can move on quickly, but the Seahawks. Um, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, um, David Moore, Amara Darbo, Jerron Brown, DK Metcalf, Nick Vanette, Ed Dixon, Will Disley. I mean, obviously DK Metcalf has a high ceiling, but 
I think I mean the Broncos have to be in front of the Seahawks. Yeah, to see, and they're like valuing Chris Carson and Rashad Penny over Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. Yeah, and one more comparison. So last year, they had the. Will you go read what it says about the Broncos? Yeah. So Broncos are number thirty-one, and this is where I was going to go. Is last year they were ranked twenty-second because of DT. Probably because of DT. But they didn't even know about Philip Lindsay at that point. Exactly. And there was no Noah Fant. Right. And Emmanuel Sutton was a complete question mark. The only huge loss is... And, and this isn't even huge. It's just that last year we knew Emmanuel Sanders was healthy. Healthy, yeah. Um, but so, so this says... Injuries push the Broncos down the pecking order here, as Emmanuel Sanders is coming off a torn Achilles, while breakout running back Philip Lindsay is reco- recovering from a serious wrist injury. Both will be back... But Sanders is 32 and is the only veteran of note in Joe Flacco's receiving core. Flacco will need to find a connection with second-year wideouts Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton. Like Foles, Flacco has a history of going for his tight ends. He has a far more promising option than the Jags pickings in first-round pick Noah Fant, but the track record of first-round tight ends as rookies might temper enthusiasm. Just four rookie tight ends in league history— Charles Young, Keith Jackson, Jeremy Shockey, and Evan Ingram have topped 700 receiving yards. Fant's impact is more likely to come in 2020 and beyond. I don't think they need him to get 700 receiving yards. No. They, they need him to get a bunch of touchdowns. Yep, a touchdown. Bunch of third yeah. down conversions. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and even at least I'll give Barnwell credit. At least he didn't rank them that low and then just <laughs> praise them. Yeah, just talk all about the upside. But yeah, I mean, what you really want from Noah Fant, like you said, is the touchdowns, and you want him to run the seam and stretch out the defense. If he has two big plays a game, you're happy. Yeah, you just want him to scare the other team even. Yeah. Make them keep a safety too deep. Right, it's exactly like the reason we said the Broncos brought in Joe Flacco. Because Joe Flacco doesn't allow you to stack the box. Yeah, you have like your defensive linemen, but everybody behind those defensive linemen will take an extra step or two back because you have Joe Flacco. Exactly. And the same thing goes for Noah Fant. Yes. You want to bring a safety up, okay, well, they're going to have to, you know, guard Noah Fant with no cushion. And if hopefully, and this is what you're hoping for from Noah Fant, that terrifies other defenses. Yeah, it's all about a lot of the moves the Broncos have made and a lot of what they're going to do on offense relates to the idea of making the defense think you're going to do something. If you make the defense think you're going to throw the ball deep, they aren't able to come up and, and press up on Philip Lindsay. And, you know, you think Philip Lindsay might take a step back this year or whatever. A lot of what the Broncos have done this offseason has been with the idea of freeing up Philip Lindsay because they saw what happens to the offense when teams key in on Philip Lindsay. Everything they've done this offseason, in one way or another on offense, points to not allowing teams to key in on Philip Lindsay. And the really good news uh, is that. With a new offensive coordinator, defenses won't know what to expect early. New offensive coordinator and a new quarterback. And new quarterback. And so that means that if if they can get off to a hot start, get a couple of big plays down the field in each of the first few games, then the rest of the season, teams see that, and they'll be sitting back because of that. And having a new coach so they don't know exactly what to expect on those deep routes or where they're going to come from gives them a head start there. And that's what they really need is a hot start so that the rest of the season, everything is spread out for Phil. Exactly. All right, another one from Nialo says, I have a great idea for the ever-growing fantasy league. However, however many we have for the paid league, we'll say 40 for this example, the first 20 that pay are in the Premier League. 
In the second 20 that pay are in the relegation league. At the end of the season, the bottom four teams from the Premier League get relegated and the top four teams from the relegation league get promoted. I like it. I dope. really like it. I think. Dope. I mean, we have so many people, we might as well do something really cool with that. Yeah, well, Nacho Brad, he's in charge. Anything he says goes in my mind. Yeah. Uh, he says, P.S. Love Henry on the pod. Good for you, Henry. P.P.S. Please less Bachelorette talk. LMAO. No way. Only on Tuesdays. Yeah. Plus yeah. a little more. Maybe a little more. <laughs> All right. We've two people chimed in with the same thing here, which is a quite the uh, revelation, according to me. <laughs> he said this is from Sausage saying a Harry. He says Beef Supreme is a character from the movie Idiocracy. Oh. I could have never, ever guessed that. Nope. Starring Luke nope. Wilson. Beef Supreme is a demolition derby driver champion who the president uses for criminal punishment. If you have not seen it, I recommend you watch once. Any more than that, you'll become dumber each time. Hang on. On the same account, Mr. Freeze says, I keep hearing you guys mention Beef Supreme, and I don't think I was there for the original mention. So I don't know if you guys know where the reference came from, but he's one of the characters in one of my all-time favorite movies, Idiocracy. I really want to see that. And I've wanted to see it for forever, but there have always You've been like... heard of it? Yeah. There have always wow. been like four mo- more movies. I want to see more, and so I've watched them. And it's always just like, oh, I will go back and watch that sometime this week. I'm blown away that that's a thing. And that there's a character named Beef Supreme. Also, isn't that... Beef Supreme. I, isn't that a item at Taco Bell? Honestly, every time I hear Beef Supreme, my first thought is Taco Bell. I'm pretty sure it's it's a burrito that has beef, and then it's Supreme because it has, like, lettuce. Um, or maybe it's a, ta- a, a taco. It has, know. like, lettuce, tomato, and sour cream on it. You know what would actually be kind of fun? If we just, like, what? pick something like Beef Supreme, just, like, a weird random phrase, go to Taco Bell and order it and see if they give us something. Like, if we just, like, walk in there and say, kind of a Beef Supreme, like, I bet there's something. Or, like, I don't, I don't know, like... They're like, do you mean you want a Crunchwrap Supreme? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, just see what they come up with when you give them a weird phrase like that. All right. Um, Mister, That's all that Sasha's saying I had, but uh, Mr. Freeze continues on. He says, the more I hear from national NFL writers, the more I think I got into the wrong profession. These guys don't research anything and just spew out garbage every day. I'm not saying the Broncos are going to be good this year, but every year they're overlooked and underrated. Living on the border of Illinois with a bunch of Bears fans should be even more fun now that they have a number nine. Uh, they have a 99 overall player in Mac. Yeah, I mean, the hard thing is I don't envy those national writers other than their paychecks because they have to try to know about teams that they don't know. Like, yeah, I focus all of my energy in on the Broncos so I can know a lot about the Broncos. They have to split that energy between 32 ways. It's just impossible for them to know. Yeah. Our job is to know everything, like 100% of the information about the Broncos. Those guys' job is to know 75% of every team in the league. And they don't get there. No. They probably know 15% of every team in the league. Yeah. And I mean, like, if I were to make the jump to being a national NFL writer, I would do a really great job with the Broncos and the Chargers and the Chiefs and the Raiders. And I know like the Patriots and I think I know Steelers. But as you like move to like the lower teams in the AFC and then a lot of the teams in the NFC, I just wouldn't know as much. And so I just have to be constantly studying to try to catch up. And they're just and looking I would at miss surface things. level stuff. Seriously. Yeah. So anyways, uh, he finally says, also, if any listeners are weary about trying a licks and all, I'm here to back it up. I wrenched my back a couple months ago picking up a 70-pound lawnmower, and nothing took the pain away until I tried some CBD lotion. Uh, granted, it wasn't a Lixanol brand, but I'm fully on board as a CBD supporter. 
if you're having any sort of chronic or acute pain, I implore you to try it too. Well, there you go. Um, the, the topical pain reliever is the hemp balm, uh, for Elixinol. And that's the one that Jake Plummer is just in love with. So when I was with him, he just like kept on putting it on his hands and like his joints. He's just like, I love this stuff. So, um, try out that one for sure. All right. From G ham chill. What's going on boys. It's been a while since my last comments, but since the rebrand to the bachelorette stands network, yes, that's what BSN stands for. I've just felt the need to contribute down to the nitty gritty here. You've got to make a base offense for the Broncos using the final four men on the Bachelorette. You need a quarterback, a wide receiver, a running back, and a tight end. Who goes where and why? Cheers. Peter's a pilot. He's the quarterback. I disagree, Um, but I'll let you finish. Okay. I mean, there is nobody else I trust to be making good decisions there. I mean, like, Tyler isn't... Just do your thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tyler isn't... A genius. He's probably number two. Jed's a little weird. Luke is your Gronk. Luke P is just your Gronk. You're putting him at tight end. I feel like you don't have a piece of information. I'm not using this piece of information, but I'm going to share it with you. Okay. Tyler C was a tight end. He played tight end in college. Oh, did he? Oh, interesting. Oh, that changes things. So, yeah, then I guess I moved Luke P to running back. Mm. I put him right there. No. I mean, Tyler C must just have football skills. I'm putting him at quarterback. I'm having him move to quarterback. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. No, <laughs> no, he didn't. Peter, though, I just don't know what you do with that guy. Like, All you right. put him. At, okay. Here's what on. I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler C is like a leader. Um, he's smooth. He has, you know, these. He just has leadership qualities and football qualities. It's from playing football his whole life. He's my quarterback. Even though he's a natural tight end, yep. I know that he has the skill, and, and people want to follow him because he's really cool. I yeah I don't buy into the coolness. My running back is going to be uh, Luke P, just because he's like he's a bruiser, aggressive and strong. And I want to see him run into a bunch of really big guys a lot. I don't like that guy. Actually, oh god. All right, my wide receiver is going to be Jed, little slot guy. Just because he, yeah he, he's kind of squirmy. Just kind of like throw him off the side. Snaky, snaky. Yes. Uh, and then my tight end I guess is going to be Peter. He's he's a little undersized for the role. But mm-hmm. everyone's kind of undersized for their role except for Tyler C. Yep. There you go. There you go. That made sense to a small percentage of our people, but I like the question. <laughs> From Dan Burke. Hey, guys. A few things. One, I disagree with Henry about Sutton, Hamilton, and Patrick being the worst starting wide receivers in the league. There's a team out here with a depth chart of Josh Doxson, Paul Richardson coming off a season-ending injury, and rookie Terry, Terry McLaurin. You could even make an argument that the Patriots starting three receivers, Edelman, Nikhil Harry, and Darsett could be worse than those three. I- I'm still kind of with Henry on this. Yeah. I mean, Josh Doxson, Paul Richardson, like maybe there's an argument. I'd still take that group. All of them would be more proven. Exactly. And so like there's... there's Except for, of course, McLaurin. But everyone that listens to this podcast know we love McLaurin at the Senior Bowl. So the thing is that's not going to be the case. Like when you add in Manuel Sanders, that changes everything about that group. Yep. All right. And also Edelman... I mean, just yeah. having Edelman alone, exactly. is, it just makes you better. Okay, uh, two, want to take you guys back to 2016. In, a, in February, a report comes out that the Broncos are enamored with Dak Prescott. In March, he gets arrested for a DUI. And in early April, he takes a visit to meet the Broncos, but misses his flight and ends up missing dinner with the front office. I know the Broncos traded up for Lynch, so the likelihood is that they take him regardless. But if Dak doesn't miss that flight and the team liked him enough to pass on Paxton, how different would the last few seasons have gone? 
Dak might be not be worth top five quarterback money, but he's been a top 15 quarterback since he got into the league. So, first of all, you should know that on this podcast, way back then, I was pounding the table for Dak Prescott. I was saying, like, this is the guy the Broncos want to take. Don't take a quarterback in the first round. You're going to be too late to get any of the top guys. Sit back and just wait for Dak Prescott and get him. So, just so you know. Two, we've actually gone over this scenario before. I think it's crazy to say this. I think you'd be worse off with Dak Prescott. Just because he's the middle of the pack guy? He you're 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 in a you're in the top end of quarterback purgatory, but you're still in quarterback purgatory. What is it worth to have a quarterback who's just good enough to get you to the playoffs and maybe win a game? That just keeps you in purgatory forever. Obviously you have you you're you feel closer, so maybe you think, okay, if we put the right guys around him, we can win a Super Bowl. But let me just ask you this. Do you think the Cowboys are going to win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott as their quarterback? I don't. So then it didn't it didn't benefit them. Yeah, I think I mean the interesting thing though is that he played so well when he had an offensive line in a good running game. And maybe if the Broncos hadn't needed to invest so much money in Case Keenum last year and Joe Flacco this year, um you could get something out of that rookie deal with Dak where you where you build him an offensive line. You know, and maybe they could kind of replicate that, and their defense is just so much better that you almost have the same formula the Broncos used with Peyton Manning, where really you just need the offense to grind the clock, run the ball down the field, not turn the ball over, and let the defense take care of everything. So I would have been really interested in seeing it. I think that they definitely would have won more games the last couple of years, but whether you could get a Super Bowl out of that, I'm not sure. Um, Let me just finished by saying Dak Prescott's best season was his first season. Yep. And that's the season that he had the best offensive line in the league in front of him. Yep. If he came into Denver, he would not have had that luxury. No, but who knows if they don't have to spend money on quarterbacks, maybe they could have built one for him. Fair enough. All right, let's take one last break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up your questions. Piper electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. Final segment here on the BSN Broncos podcast, Friday edition. It's Ryan Konigsberg and Henry Chisholm. And we are excited for the weekend because as my last act before going off to training camp, we, me and Henry and a couple of my buddies are going up to my, one of my favorite golf courses in Colorado. Uh, it's called the Raven. 
up there in Silverthorne, and it's like, it's like if you were just like playing golf in a mountain, and it's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. I haven't left Denver much. Like even last summer, there's just so much to do in Denver that I didn't go up to the mountains or anything. So I'm excited, first of all, just to like see what it's like up at Silverthorne. But then also the Raven is an incredible course and not the type of course that I got to play much as a broke college student. It's going to be really cool. And we got a nice deal on it too. So I'm super excited for Saturday. All right. Um, we actually didn't finish Dan Burke's comment. So he says three is retired for Mr. B, of course. And then four, he says, I'm keeping an eye on the Chris Jones situation. He's currently holding out. And if he doesn't report to the team by August 6th, he becomes a re- uh, restricted free agent instead of an unrestricted one. If he becomes an RFA and the Chiefs presumably put a first-round tender on him, would you guys give up a first-round pick and then a huge contract for Chris Jones? The Chiefs led the league in sacks last year, so we know how dangerous pairing an elite interior pass rusher with two great edge rushers can be, and the dude will only be 25 next year. I'd do that in a heartbeat. I'm with you. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yep. That's such a great value. I think the interesting part is uh, the Broncos' strategy on the defensive line recently has been to just get guys who fill certain roles and have like a six-man rotation maybe even a seven-man rotation for the three spots two spots on some plays and just put everybody in good situations chris jones would change that now let me ask you this really quick they don't have the cap room like i know we always joke that the cap is a joke you definitely couldn't add like a what do you think he's gonna get paid 25 million a year he he's going to be up in that range, like highest paid defensive player range. So you can't afford that. The only way you could do it, Henry, is to cut Emmanuel Sanders and Derek Wolf. Would you still do it? Um, I mean, it, it depends on how the season goes. It depends on whether you see the well, receivers. So would this oh, be – Oh, no. You this, could, I think this would be right now. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Oh, that's tempting. Ah. <sighs> Because if it's uh, next year, then you can move stuff around and make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think no. I think all year? of that time has passed. It, it, I think it would be next year, right? So they would keep him for this year. Yep, they keep him for this year. It'd be in the spring. He'd become a restricted free agent instead of an unrestricted because he yeah, because all of those time. like tender offers and stuff. I think of art. No, I think there's still time to sign tenders. Yeah, but I think he's under contract for this season and he's trying to renegotiate for this year. Mm. And so he would be unrestricted because of time in the league. But since he wouldn't play this season, he would be restricted because he doesn't hit that, like, however many game number this season. Okay. And so then you could move money around. And so in that case, I mean... You still, you definitely do it. You definitely do it. I mean, Joe Flacco, you could cut him if Drew Locke looks right, move mm-hmm. on to Drew Locke, and there's a bunch of money right there. Yep. Emmanuel Sanders, if the receivers play well, I mean, in a perfect world, Emmanuel Sanders is not on the team next year. Derek Wolf. I mean, you just say you're subbing him in for Derek Wolf. That's a, like an easy choice. Yeah, we'd do it for sure. Yeah. All right, next one from GJ Humpback Chubbs 55. Hey guys, new sub here. I stumbled upon your guys on Twitter and listened to a podcast and was hooked since then. I've grown up as a Broncos fan since I was little. My grandfather had season tickets right on the 50-yard line in section 518. I've been to many memorable games. However, the one that sits so strongly in my mind is the Joe Flacco playoff loss. I froze my butt off for hours and ultimately came down with the flu, all for us to lose in a heartbreaking way. Brutal. Questions. Ryan, what is your opinion on the Grand Junction Rockies Twitter fight 
about the fans <laughs> wanting the name changed to the Humpback Chubs. Uh, first of all, just some of the worst social media management I've ever seen. My goodness. But How I, th- I think that's like to be expected. I mean, what what is a rookie ball team like how much are they paying their social media person i I imagine it's very little yeah but i mean even then you should be able to find an intern like somebody who's in a journalism school and has taken a class in social media or at least has had professors explain things to them or has been in contact with people who kind of understand or just has read twitter before and sees which brands are good at twitter and how they are good at twitter anyways my main uh assertion here is that the grand junction rockies should 1,000% be named the Grand Junction Humpback Chubs. Yeah, they just released like the top grossing revenue uh, minor league baseball teams. They listed the top 25. All of them had hilarious names. Right, because that makes them marketable. I want a Hartford Yard Goats hat. I've never actually bought myself one, but that's just such a cool name. Rockies affiliate makes sense. I, I have love no, the goats. I have no interest in a Rockies hat that's just Grand Junction. Why? Why would I want that? Yeah, and and it's just, it almost looks like the Pizza Hut logo. Yeah, the way they do uh, it, it's weird. Yeah, go Chubs, baby. Go Chubs all day. Uh, anyways, he says, "Here's a Would You Rather." A. Joe Flacco plays out his contract and plays amazing and leads us to two back-to-back Super Bowls. Or B. We go 0 and 16 both seasons. However, Drew Locke shows he's 100% our franchise quarterback of the future. Cheers from the other side of the passes. Sports fans are greedy. Um, if you say two Super Bowls. Or a franchise quarterback, it's tough not to say I'd rather have the quarterback for the future and get a run at a Patriots-like dynasty. Practically, practically though, you can get two Super Bowls in the next 40 years, 30 years. You probably take the two Super Bowls because, I mean, think about 32 teams in the league. You should be winning a Super Bowl once every 32 years. Right. There are people who can legally drink alcohol right now. Who have only had one Broncos Super Bowl in their entire lifetime. Yeah. And there are no guarantees of more. No. If you can get two, you take it. Also, back-to-back Super Bowls is like the coolest thing ever. So, yep. you you take the two and run. Yep. For sure. And, and, like... And then there's still the potential for more, too. The crazy thing there would be, like, um, for me, if they won back-to-back Super Bowls, the Broncos will have won five Super Bowls in my life. That's way more than the average you'll get from a team. Seriously, it's one in one every 32 years. Is that what the is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah, because if there are 32 teams, like oh, if everything's balanced, the average team gets one every 32. Yeah, it never works like that, but No, some like you have the balance. I always say like if you get two championships from a team in your life, that's good. Yeah. So yeah. if if you have four professional sports teams, you end your life with eight championships, like you had a good life. As a sports fan. Or maybe even just a good life in general. Probably. I'm willing to say a good life in general. Yeah, I mean, those two things are usually pretty well uh, connected. Yep. Next one's from another new subscriber. How about this? They're just rolling in. From Bumpy Buffalo. Hey, guys. New sub here. Long-time listener. Love the pod and always look forward to what's coming next. I really only have uh, one question that I would like for your opinion on. What is your take on the new pass interference rules, and how do you see it impacting the Broncos specifically? Thanks, and keep up the great pod. So I hate them. Yeah, I, there's no reason to review that. Don't review judgment calls. You're just asking for more trouble. Sure, there's like this fluky thing in the playoffs that everybody missed on the field, and that's going to happen sometimes because it's sports. 
Like, it just happens sometimes. And letting them go back to review it. I mean, first of all, it slows the game down, which is not something anybody wants. I mean, these college football games that go three and a half, four hours, it makes it so hard to watch. I think watching all these soccer games the last month has been refreshing because they play 45 minutes of soccer, they take 15 minutes off, and they play 45 minutes more soccer. It's so, so easy to watch and stay engaged with, whereas all these breaks just slow things down. But that's not even my biggest beef. My, my, my biggest problem is that now we're going to get reviews, and those are going to be judgment calls that everybody is expecting them to get right every single time, but people are going to read it differently. They're going to have different takes on all of these because they'll be so close. Stupid. It's stupid. Less review in sports makes sports better. Here's what I hate. Um, we've come accustomed to watching football a certain way. And one of the things that has become part of just football is that offensive pass interference gets called a lot less than defensive pass interference. Yes. Yet it happens close to as much. Okay. And so all of a sudden now, knowing that it's reviewable, first of all, OPI is going to get called a lot more because if the ref sees it, he's going to have to call it. Uh, which should be should have been the case in the first place, but it's but it's not. And second of all, big big plays are going to end up getting overturned on stuff that wouldn't have been called in the past. Like if if the receiver just like extends their arm a little bit when they're going up to make a catch, they don't call that. But that is offensive pass interference. And so I, I realize there's someone out there saying, well, like then it should be called, and that's going to be great. But someone's going to win on a hail mary at the end of the game, and then they're going to go back and look and say, oh, he pushed the guy in the back. And it's like, well, Hail Marys have always been a melee <laughs> yeah. yep. in the end zone. And really exciting plays are going to end up being called back and turned into offensive pass interference, and that's going to suck. Um, the other side of it, though, is like if your team has been a team that's been a huge victim of pick plays, you're going to be able to get get out of that like the Patriots aren't going to be able to do that every time they get down on the goal line obviously the Broncos used to do that they don't do it anymore but a lot of teams especially the spread out teams when they get down on the goal line, they just run pick plays and now it's going to end up hurting them if they do that because if it's a touchdown it's for sure going to be reviewed and it's going to end up costing them 10 yards yeah and all of this just comes from sports shifting from a culture where everybody goes to the game to everybody watches on tv back in the day back in like the 80s or whatever you would go you'd watch the replays weren't good enough to see what happened and you'd go watch and if the ref said that something happened you might have beef with it but you just kind of accept it because it's their job to check you're up in the stands anyway there's no way to really know but now that everybody like i mean what percentage of the people watching a broncos game are actually at the stadium a very small percentage. Yeah, now everybody's sitting at home watching on the TV and can see exactly what happens, which is cool for a bunch of reasons, and it makes it a lot easier for more people to care about the team, and all that stuff is good, but it just gives fans a perspective that isn't the natural fan perspective. Like, it's just totally different than sitting in the stands, and that's part of the reason, like, those are the people who I want to be supporting, the people who actually are at the game and pay all the money they don't deserve to have that game slowed down. They should just keep watching because they won't even get to see the, the small little push in the back. I just hate it for so many reasons. Yeah, when you're at a game, like the first thing you do is text your buddy who's watching at home, right? Yeah. Was it PI? Yeah. Or, did he get in? Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Yeah, I just don't like it. Just let them play football. Let the refs be the refs. Cut down the reviews. If you want to review like clear stuff, like did he step out? Sure. 
but that's it. Right. Next one's from Seth M. He says, I thought I would have some fun and chime in with this. My most heated sports debate was in college or at a dining hall with my roommate and one of our friends. My roommate was a good wrestler in high school, and I played very competitive hockey throughout high school. Our debate was which took more overall physical ability. As we all know, hockey is a clear winner here, but he wouldn't concede. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that um, about wrestling that are tougher than hockey in its own right. But to me, hockey is the most impressive, like at the highest level, it's the most impressive sport in terms of the combination of skills you need to be really good at. Yep. It. Like, cause you think about it and it's all like physical and you have to be big and strong and hit guys and you need to know how to use the stick like, and hit guys with the stick, like all this different stuff. And then you remember that they're doing it on skates too. Right. And then there's these huge goalies with a, that are fantastic. You got to get it by them. It's just, yep. to me, I'm always blown away by hockey. I'm just like, how do these guys do this? How do they skate backwards so fast? Like, so efficiently and smooth and so many different things and like the wrist shots and the slap shots and the little passes and like deking it, pull it between your skates, like putting it between the defender skates. Like there are all these different creative things that you can do playing and the it, angles of the boards. And I'm sure there's like that mental aspect of wrestling too, like setting a guy up so that you can like get his balance one way and take him out the other way somehow. But I just don't see that as clearly, clearly as I see it in hockey. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, he goes on. Eventually, our friend got in on it and ended up pissing off my roommate so much that my roommate poured his orange juice into our friend's cereal and stormed out of the dining hall. They didn't talk for two days. Needless to say, we were all great friends, and my roommate never got to live down his meltdown. Heated sports debates are the best. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. From Vaughn, Father of Tom. Training camp is needed ASAP. Can't wait to, for you guys to cover that for us listeners. But for now, other sports talk. What is your favorite player and team not in Denver sports? In the MLB, NFL, and NBA, mine would basically all be Cleveland. That's where I'm from. Yes, Henry, the one in thirty-one Browns times were taken very hard here. Go Broncos. Okay, who is your favorite MLB player? I'm not going teams because just we'll just do players. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's easy to go for like Mike Trout. Any of that kind of stuff. I mean, DJ LeMay, he was kind of cheating because he was here for so long, but I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, it all starts by which guys do I really not like because they play for the Dodgers or because they play for the Yankees or because of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. Having, like, a great player on the other side, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I, I, first, baseball is a tough one for me to start on. I don't watch baseball unless the Rockies exactly. are involved. Um, but I will say my, probably my favorite player right now is Vladdy Jr. Mm, that's a good one. That's good. Especially cause like I liked him and then we watched that home run derby and now I love him. Yep. Okay. Um, favorite NFL player outside of Denver. Um, that's another tough one. I really do like Baker Mayfield. Ooh, love Baker. I think, I mean, Kyler Murray, I want to see something, but he's yes. so much fun. Kyler and Baker would be my one too. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it has to be a quarterback, right? I don't know. I get maybe like one of those gadget safeties. Tyron Matthew, bef- like I really like him. Um, I like the story there too, and I like the position he plays. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, it's got to be Kyler and Baker. Yep. All right, favorite NBA player? Um, You know, if we want to go least favorites, I think it's like Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, like all these guys who have been getting compared to Jokic for the last few years, I'm just sick of them because I've been hearing about how they're better than him for so long. But guys I like, I think <sighs> Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic go. is my number one. My number one is Kyle Korver. 
Mm, yeah, J.R. Smith. I yeah, like J.R. Smith. I, I, I don't think I can pick J.R. Smith because he's not on a team. Is that a rule? I think, I think so. that's a rule. Yeah. But I've I've loved Kyle Korver my whole – I just like guys. I like white guys who shoot threes. J.J. Redick, love him. There you go. <laughs> that's because that's my game. Anyways, I got to check if there's a buzzer beater because I haven't been doing a good job of that. I have Usually 16. that's Zach's job. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Nope. No buzzer beaters, which means – this week is over. And we appreciate you guys for tuning in with us the whole week. Um, obviously, we will be on to training camp very soon. Broncos getting into full swing. So make sure you stick with us. And we'll stick with you guys throughout the weeks on the BSN Broncos podcast. We'll talk to you later. It's getting me down. It's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Hey.